You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Applause, please. <laughs> Good job, Tom. <laughs> our our in-studio audience is very proud. <laughs> we have a crowd here in the Chris Ferrara podcast studio this morning, <laughs> and Tom pulled it off. Look at you. Miracles do happen. No retakes. We need one of those things that goes... <laughs> for all of our retakes that Action. we might have to do. <laughs> hey, producer, make that take, happen. Take 371. <laughs> That's it. And then at the end, when he goes to do the phone number, we'll probably have to do oh, it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back, Tom. You weren't here for the last podcast. Yeah, I had to drive down to southern Arizona. <laughs> Are we doing crickets? <laughs> <laughs> Are there crickets in southern Arizona? What's uh, the deal here? <laughs> there wasn't much down there where I was at in Hereford, Arizona. That sounds like a happening place. That's yeah. the name of some cattle. So is when that, I, is when that I where the cattle? When I first found out I had to go there, I was like, where is this at? I've never heard of this place. Is that where the Hereford cattle were named for? I, Did I you doubt see any cows? It. No, I did then not see not. any cows. Then probably not. Well, they're not they're not in season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not hunting season. <laughs> Y'all are so bad. You know, honestly, I do have a funny story about things not being in season. I, um, when we lived in Louisiana, there's a southern thing because we're getting to the holidays here now, and it was it's called a Williamsburg apple tree, and it's made from wood and it has four sides and kind of looks like a um, pyramid sort of, and it has nails in it. You put apples all over it. It's very decorative and stuff. And we were somewhere in Slidell, Louisiana, after we moved there, and I wanted one. And so we went into one of these nursery type places that had decorative things and. I asked for, did they have any Williamsburg apple trees? <laughs> Quickly told me, no, they were not in season. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, probably not ever going to find one here. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to have one made. But yeah, so I'm glad to know the cattle were not in season down in Hereford, Hereford. Arizona. We'll have to find out what their season is and maybe go down and visit. And um, yeah. Oh, pause that a minute. Time start over. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Take two. Take two. <laughs> anyway, what's new, Joelle? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, inside joke. We were having a little laugh here uh, at things that under the shield and how things go and how I open my mouth and stick my foot <laughs> in it quite often. And you'd think by this age I would have learned, but. No. That wasn't God putting something oh, in this time. That no, was that the was, devil. That was Satan. Yeah, <laughs> Satan got involved, and, and and Susan let him let him play, and it was funny, and it wasn't funny, and I felt bad for a few days, but life's good. <laughs> so, Joelle, apparently, I need adult supervision more often than not. Yeah. Now I decided I'm uh, going going to open up my own business. It's going to be an exotic farm. <laughs> I'm going to be Joelle Exotic. <laughs> Joelle Exotic. It's just going to be a farm of emus. <laughs> what else would go have? <laughs> just emus. Just, uh, <laughs> That's you all know, you need. Maybe a, a llama or two. But there is one out 
on Atien. Going to ostriches? There's an ostrich one. But don't they have emus too? There's uh, also a stingray and, farm, so I don't. What are you talking about? There's a stingray farm. Like the things in the ocean, stingrays? Yeah. Like down, like if you're driving past Tucson, there's like a random stingray farm. No way. We have I, so much ocean from property around. Yeah, I used to always see it, like driving to Tucson. I was like, that's the most random thing I've. But okay. Yeah, nothing ever. Podcast is going on the road. <laughs> we're going to go to the ostrich farm and we're going to go to this stingray farm because I don't know what. I'm buying a mole out. It's going to be under a Joel Exotic. Because <laughs> I have heard that that thing, go at the ostrich farm, is pretty cool to go to. So we, we need a road trip. It was very busy the other day when I came back on Sunday. When I, on the way on the way there, it wasn't so much because it was early. On uh-huh. the way back, it was packed. There's all kinds of cars there. You know, I could make a joke right now, but I'm really not going. To. I've put my foot in my mouth enough in the last week that I'm not going to do that again. But I'm sure there was some respect being paid Probably. somewhere. So uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Did you find the Stingray Farm? Yeah. There really Stingray is a... Touch. Yeah. What the heck? It's in Tucson. Yeah. How did we miss this? I mean, I've only been out here 11 years, but you people have been here for like life. Yeah. Jason, our guest, you haven't ever heard of the Stingray Farm either? No, you guys are weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just my, my back know. in the corner here, just absorbing. Somebody closed the door. In the desert. I just doesn't. <laughs> that, okay. Yep. I see. I see some team building exercises here. <laughs> That, and we will report back to this audience if we don't take the portable with us and just report. Maybe we should do a podcast from down there. Yeah. Nothing says team building like ostrich riding. <laughs> and you know, Becky, you'll be right on that, don't you? <laughs> Becky's going to adopt a few. For sure. <laughs> Probably so. And then we get to go meet the stingrays. Yeah. And we'll let you ride one of those. How's that? Maybe you can dive with them. Ooh, Ooh, Steve know. Irwin all over. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> just don't let him get below you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just keep him level with you. <laughs> You'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now that we have have abused all of these subjects here, but we, I don't know. Maybe we've increased tourism to Arizona. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then they can go to the boneyards of the airplanes, which is actually kind of cool, that's, to be honest with is. you. But um, yeah, it's just a straight down I ten, and you can hit all three places apparently. Jason says, I'm out of here. This yeah. is too much for me. I need more breakfast if I'm going to do more. I need more protein if this is how it's going to go. It's going to be a fun hour. <laughs> All right. So back to you, Tom. This is your day to host this thing. Go right ahead. Tell us about our guest. <laughs> so our guest, even though he doesn't remember, we actually worked together for a very short time. Not worked together, but we worked at the same place. But what does that say about you, Tom? Um, <laughs> that he's healing. He That's remembers. Right. I, yeah. Yeah, but Jason didn't remember him. <laughs> he's been hitting the head too many times. Yeah. Too. Well, it was all. To be fair, it was only twenty years That's ago. That's right. So it was. Yeah. And a lot and, has and happened. And we weren't like beat partners or anything like that. You know, have y'all right? changed so. looks a lot? I mean, I have. Well, he's no, not, not in not his really. killer boots. That's right. It, they're, they're in the traffic That's bureau, right. yeah. which is the bathroom. Go yeah. put on the boots, so, Tom. Then, <laughs> then you would have known. It's all coming back now. 
<laughs> yeah, you motor guys, they're special breed. You got one of those uh, sexy songs you can play while you walk around with those <laughs> no, motorboats? We do need to add some sexy saxophone. <laughs> we do. A little some careless whisper or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm sure Tom knows someone that can come in and record some saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we had the bagpipes. We, we had the bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, audience, if you missed that, you need to go back and I was not here that day, but our our uh, I guess the people that share office space all around us are will never be the same, That's apparently, right. from having the bagpipes actually in the building. And, you know, we probably should have an anniversary of that. Yes, that was fun. I agree. It was loud. And That's I'm sorry sure. I missed it. But... You should probably give your neighbors a heads up, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we no. didn't do that last time. No. <laughs> Are the Highlanders coming to take over? Is, is William Wallace out there? What's well, happening here? I bet we could get him to bring the whole group and they could march into the parking lot and oh there you go yeah i think it was a memorial day podcast was, or something like that. yeah anyways i think i titled it we need more bagpipes <laughs> <laughs> so next time we'll have more bagpipes so more cowbell more bagpipes <laughs> exactly yeah and we'll invite you back jason you can be here for that one. oh I'll, I'll bring my triangle <laughs> <laughs> i'll be out and you can co-host with tom how's that i'll find some place i need to go <laughs> i don't know why i wasn't here but i wasn't so I'm really sorry I missed that, and <laughs> I just had to listen to it. Uh, you could have been officiating some wedding or something. Probably. Who knows? I, that may have been when I was trying I just, to get I just back. remember getting the files. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> just 21 files, and half of them are just bagpipe edits. <laughs> yes. Oh, good times. You never know what's going to happen here at Under the Shield and Chris Ferrar's <laughs> podcast studio. You know? We have to do things to remember him and things he would have done because he'd have done that. Exactly. Only he'd have wanted to play the bagpipes. Well, I don't know about that. And that would have been disastrous. (laughs) Yeah, we'd have been sued and everything else. But anyway, Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. Jason Mao. Thank you. It's been a long time. 20 years. It has been really. Once you sit down and do the numbers. I know. It's crazy. All right, children, cut it out. Just stop. We're going to make Susan feel real old. Just stop. 20, 20 years. And I've been doing this 31 and y'all were babies. So whatever. Make your point, Jason. Go ahead. So So you went through a lot. I mean, two departments. Um, yeah, but the highlight of his life was just a few weeks ago when he got to have breakfast with me and meet me, and <laughs> that's what rooked him into all of it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? There's not much I won't do for some free bacon. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the truth. <laughs> and the lieutenant that introduced us, the, he ran out on us. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm in uniform. I need to go. <laughs> yeah. He's like, the two of you together? <laughs> yeah. He, he goes, yeah, I think I got a meeting I got to go to. <laughs> <Yeah>. Suddenly remembered. <laughs> yeah, we'll give him grief about that, too. We'll get him in here one day. But anyway, tell us all about your your life and your story. And you've been through a lot. You've done oh, a lot. Um, geez, okay. Uh, third generation Arizonan, born and raised basically down the street from where we are right now. A for, native. I know. And for people not from out here, I didn't know this either until I moved out here. <laughs> the native, na- that ain't, that's unlike, uh, very uncommon to have it's people like a born unicorn. and raised. It yeah. is a unicorn. There's not very many yeah. of us left. Most we, most everybody is from someplace else because Arizona is such a great place to live. And yeah. and they ran all the 
people out, said, y'all go away. We need this land. Yeah, we, we all went someplace else. Yeah. <laughs> Southerners are taking over. And if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of Alabama people. Go we're, Tide. We're, absolutely. It's actually rolled, but that's okay. Go Tide works. Um, <laughs> we, you're going to learn yet. I, I try good. <laughs> <laughs> y'all. Y'all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he'll get roll Tide before it's all over with. No, but, I, I have fond memories of Alabama. That's actually where I went to basic training was at, uh, was at, in Fort McClellan, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. And not many people say that either, uh, that they had a good experience. Love, fond in, memory. In, in no, I said I went to basic training, and I left it at that. But you said you had fond memories in Alabama. And did what, I say fond? You did. Yeah. But, I, but it wasn't meant, training related. No, I, no this, this is a family program. So I, not really. <laughs> yeah, Fort McClellan no longer exists. Yeah, they shut it down shortly <laughs> after I was there. I was going to say, Jason, I think, had something to do with it. <laughs> Yes, but then they took, now we have the, it, it's some big homeland defense thing. I forgot what it's called, the Center for Domestic Preparedness or something. Hmm. Man, you should see that place. It's got fencing and wrought iron all around. Yeah, you ain't getting in that place. Yeah. Not at all. So Challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take our ostriches and our <laughs> We probably have some of those in Alabama, actually. But um, yeah, so you uh, had a fun time in Alabama. I did. Uh, well, relatively speaking. Sure. Um, yeah, basic training. When I went through basic training, you, you go through basic training for the military, and then you go to what's called um, your MOS. Uh, IO, uh, AIT, sorry, your okay. advanced individual training. Um, mine was one station training. So my basic training and my AIT were at the same place. And so when people graduate from basic training, they, they leave and mm -hmm. they go someplace else. So they get, they don't have drill sergeants anymore. They have instructors and and they're treated like normal soldiers because they're now considered a soldier. That's not the way that, that I was treated. And so it was like 19 weeks of, of basic training. And then when we got past the basic part, I didn't even change beds. My, my, right? my drill instructors became my instructors. And So you should have gone in the Air Force like Tom. Where they pull your covers back for you and leave chocolate on the pillows. I, that's right. No, I, I, I will. I when I joined the military, is long story short, I, I got home. I was a Mormon missionary, and I went to to the Pacific Northwest, um, which was a completely foreign mission. Because you might as well have sent me to a different country, you know. Because we decorate here in shades of brown, you know. And I went up there, and there's trees and mountains and yeah. like green things. What is green. what is that over there? That's a river. <laughs> really? That well, happens. We have just dry creek beds. <laughs> I know. I said they're the water. Okay, that makes sense. And and uh, and so when I got home. Um, Back in the late 80s, early 90s, in, in East Mesa, if you were a Mormon boy and you got home off your mission, and if you weren't engaged to be married or off to BYU within six months, there was something wrong with you, right? <laughs> well, there wasn't anything wrong with me. I just I didn't want to go to college. I just had this amazing experience. I knew that there was this great big world out there, and I wanted to experience it and see more. More I, rivers. More. more, more. I, I hear that there's more of those someplace. Yeah. I know. And there's actually, you know, uh, seasons and, right. yeah. you know, things like that. It doesn't go from hot to warm and then back to hot again. <laughs> Here's a funny story. When I moved out here and I was in the West Valley and I saw the riverbed and it, it's Agua Fria. Right. I thought that stood for free of water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said that to somebody. I said, boy, they named that right, didn't they? They go, what? I go, yeah, it's free, free of water. water. <laughs> and they were like, no, that's not what that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Southern translation of Spanish. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, um, 
So after about six months, I'm just spinning my wheels, just trying to figure out life and stuff like that. And then I woke up one morning, and this pretty lady on CNN said that we had just, uh, or Saddam Hussein had just invaded Kuwait, and we were building this coalition. And you know, and they had the the soldiers marching, and you saw the the flags and the airplanes, and and I got that service burning yeah. in my heart. And I said, ah, that's an adventure right there. That's for me. <laughs> More desert. Hey, yeah. I'll be right at home. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a red meat eating, chest pounding American boy, and there's a war, and you know, and I'm a, I'm an athlete, and I've done all this stuff. I want adventure, and I want to go fight. I want to be in the fight, right? And so, naturally, where do you think I went? Uh, the, the first place I went was to the Marine Corps recruiter, right? Because if there's going to be a fight. That's right. right. You gotta you gotta join the Marines, right? Absolutely. And the, the, the dress blues and that's what you know hooked my son. The, the few, the proud. I mean, I I swallowed the Kool-Aid and I'm like, yeah. I want to be a Marine. Mm -hmm. And but I want to be that guy, right? And sure. so I walk into the Marine recruiting office and on the wall is a poster, right? Of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the camouflage and he's got the, you know, the knife and the N16, and right above it it says recon yes right uh -huh. now you're talking now you're talking that's him right there right and so the staff sergeant walks up and i said sir i want to be a marine and i want to be that guy right there and they go sucker come on <laughs> well, he goes he goes uh, he, he, he goes if you pass the test you'll be a marine you know and i said yeah 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 that's that's why i can I'm do here. that i can do that i want to be that guy can i be that guy and he goes the marines will decide who you are and I went, uh, so what you're saying is that I could be a Marine cook or a Marine truck driver? I mean, nothing, nothing against the service and support. You Everybody's got to have a, a role. It's a big right. machine, and it doesn't work unless all the wheels are spinning. Right. But if I'm volunteering for a war and yep. I want to fight, I want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, you know, we go back and forth, and I'm like, okay, I'm not getting anywhere with this guy. <laughs> you didn't bring crayons He's not with it. Right. Like, he doesn't seem to understand that I want to be that guy. I don't want to be who you tell me to be. I want to be that guy right there. I know inside of me I got this. I want to yep. be that guy. The way you make him sound, I just picture Robin Williams and Jumanji. Like, I feel like that's what I picture. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> and so I just said, okay, thank you, sir. And I walked out and I went right next door into the army recruiter. Right. Can and I it, be that Marine on that post? <laughs> so I, I walk in. You guys got Marines here in the army? Where's your poster? I walk in and, and there's a poster right there. It, it looks like the exact same guy. Right. But instead of recon, it says Ranger. Right. And so I said, I want to be that guy right there. And the, and the, and the sergeant looks at me and goes, all right. <laughs> and he went back to the Marines and he goes, they're nice to I, me are you, there. Are you kidding me? He goes, no, nah, if you pass the test, you can do whatever you want. I was like, where do I sign? You know, put me on the first smoking thing out of here. I am. And so we, 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 we sit down and, and we, you know, I got to go through MEPS. I got to take the ASVAB and all yeah, that stuff. All that fun stuff. And so as the whole process is going, I build a relationship because he's a used car salesman, right? He's, he, he knows he's hooked me. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So now he's going to get me for the, for the, uh, high, for the, you know, the undercoating and the pinstriping and <laughs> you know, the, the, the destination charges and all that stuff. <laughs> and so we're sitting there and, uh, and he goes, well, what do you want to do with your life? You want to be a soldier your whole life? Yeah, and, I want to be you know, that one. I was like, well, I'm, I'm okay with that, you know. And, and he goes, well, have you ever thought about doing anything else? Is there like a technical career? You know, because he's trying to he's trying to fill a quota now. Sure. sure. Everybody walks in wanting to be a ranger, but not everybody wants to be a, you know, a radar technician or something. And so he's trying to fill quotas. He's trying to 
he's trying to bait me, right? And, yeah. and I know this now. I didn't know that then. I was, of course, you know, 20 years old and wanted to fight. And so I said, well, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to be a cop. I always thought being a cop would be pretty cool. You know, mm. I like the idea of helping people. Here he comes. And so he, he gets that <laughs> twinkle. He goes, have I got a job <laughs> for you? <laughs> right? And he goes, how about if you're a paratrooper and an MP at the same time? And I said, oh, you can do that? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah. And he gives me that. I'm going to pull some strings. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. I'm going to do something special that I don't do for everybody. <laughs> but I'll. You, you you go to you go to the MP Academy, and then you'll go right to Airborne School, and then right to Fort Bragg. You know Fort Bragg's where all the, That's where those the guys are. are yes. And you just walk down the street, and you're like, "Well, I want to go to Scuba School." And they'll just take you right to Scuba Scuba of course. School. Sure, that's how that works, right? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> and he and the Marine recruiter had drinks that oh, yeah, afternoon. Yeah, yeah. I just see yes. that kid, right? the Mormon boy walking in here wanting to be a soldier. <laughs> so, so yeah, off I go. And and, and uh, the military police academy was at um, Fort McClellan. And so a basic training in the military police academy. And then I graduated. And that night I got on a bus and went to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia for airborne school. Oh, not far, just down the road. Just down south. the road, nice yeah. little bus drive, which yep. is fun to do, Drive, ride a bus in the, in the south <laughs> in Absolutely. the summertime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fun to do. Yeah, but you yeah. had beautiful Lake Eufaula's right there. It's gorgeous. And well, yeah. Was that what that was? Oh, yeah, that's okay. what that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all didn't get to go boating? <laughs> no, 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 surprisingly that. not. Surprisingly not. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing about um, Fort Benning is that you, you get on the plane in Georgia, but you jump. In Alabama. Of course. Absolutely. Because the Chattahoochee River is your 32nd mark. Mm -hmm. And so the drop zone is actually in Alabama. So as hard as I tried, I ended up back in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great place, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. And that's some of the, and, and that drop zone right there at, at Jump School has got to be the holiest ground. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Jerusalem holy, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Because every single person in that plane is praying <laughs> to whatever God they believe that's in. That's right. I, I kid you not. I, I don't care who you are, but when it's one o'clock in the morning, they want you to run out of the back of an airplane. That you volunteered night, you to volunteered. do now. You're, this is, you're this is your to, idea. Yeah, you're talking to God. You're having a conversation with Pro the boss. Probably right? should have talked to him before you walked into the recruiter's <laughs> office. <laughs> you remember that, remember that scene in The Mummy? Where the, the, the bad guy meets the mummy for the first time and he's pulling all the medallions out and he's speaking in all the different <laughs> no, ways. Yeah. That literally is happening 2,000 feet above the air. As you're running out the back. As that, as that green light goes on. <laughs> I mean, I, I heard about deities that I'd never even, the fish god and the spaghetti monster. And, and how many of y'all are in this plane fixing to run out the back praying? Uh well, it, it it all depended on the plane. If a C-130 holds about 60 paratroopers, a C-141 holds about 120, depending on how they configure it. Um, you talk, 120 if, of you in there, all praying. Just, yeah, just, just like a big seabird pooping us out one side or the other. <laughs> and again, it depends on, on the size uh, of the drop zone and all that on how many go out, because sometimes it has to racetrack, come around and poop some more out. Um, a C-5 Galaxy can hold... A couple of hundred paratroopers. Wow. So just again, it just because it's two levels, you have to go down yeah. some stairs. And so, yeah, can you imagine that? No. Carrying all that stuff and having to go down a, a little narrow staircase to get to the. <laughs> no, I'd have walked to the front where the pilot was. I'm sitting with you the rest of this yeah. trip. So it really just and, and and sometimes you're doing special stuff. So it's only like eight or nine of us or twelve of us or 
you know, and, and sometimes when they're doing racetracks, they'll kick everybody out, else out, but you won't make it. And so they got to go around again. And then it's just you floating in the air. That's always fun. <laughs> and are we jumping at night because it's easier for you to not see where you're going? <laughs> I mean, is there a method to that madness? Uh, well, it's not <laughs> scary because yeah. you can't see you the can't ground. See you Technically, it's safer because the enemy can't see you. Oh, it's one of those yeah. things. At least that's what they told you. And, and, well, I mean, you have to train for every condition, too, because sure. it may be daytime here, but nighttime there. Mm-hmm. wherever you end up or vice versa. And so you have to, I mean, we jump into the water, you jump into snow, you know, you jump in all kinds of adverse conditions. And so you just get used to, used to doing that. And, and, um, were you one of those, I, I dated a Navy pilot for a while and he always talked about something where you're on the beach and they literally snatch you off the beach to rescue you and haul you back up into a plane? Uh, I, I know what you're talking about. And did That's you ever the have sky to, lift. Um, I've to? never had to, never had to do that. That, heard that was fun. That looked like fun. That really looked like <laughs> that fun. That was great. Just putting a, putting a monkey suit on. And, and <laughs> I, 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 I have done what's called a spies rig, a special patrol insertion and extraction system. Cause you know, the military loves their acronym. Absolutely. Right? So what that is, it's just a, it's a, it's a, a fast rope, which is like a, a two inch uh, thick rope. And it's got uh, carabiners sewn into it. Then you put this monkey harness on with a carabiner on your back and you snap into it and you dangle on without holding on to anything on this rope being, and, and as a helicopter picks you up and flies you away. And so you can carry up to 12 guys on this thing. And so, That's crazy. See, it's all that kind of stuff with those special acronyms yeah. that real suckers like you in. Oh, I, I drank the Kool-Aid Absolutely. and I asked for more. Yeah, Absolutely. I was 100% soldier. Your mama dropped you on your head when you and were a baby. And she did not breastfeed me while she was doing it. I was mom fat, definitely. That's it. Yeah. I knew we'd figure this out eventually. <laughs> Get to the crux yeah. of it. So I, I had a great time in the military. Um, you did all kinds of really cool stuff. Uh, my final job, the, the, the culmination of my career, was that I ended up being the team sergeant for the Army's version of a SWAT team. They were called the SRT. And my team was stationed in Hawaii. And so we were responsible. I know. I know. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Glamour boy. Right? Air Force yeah. goes to Italy, you go to Hawaii. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. right. Sure. And so I was, my team was responsible for everything that the Pacific Ocean touched right there in Hawaii. And and uh, we had some off-island deployments, did some fun stuff there. I, I, I worked with uh, JTF-6, which is a counter-narcotics task force. Mm-hmm. Uh, I helped teach uh, the DEA and FBI how to repel out of helicopters and stuff. And, <laughs> and uh, just, just, I was just having the time of my life, just loving it. And it, um, Did you get to the desert? No, I uh, never did. No. The, by the time I got, because I had so much training to mm-hmm. get to where I was, by the time I was done training, it was over. And they weren't sending anybody. It was a quick war. It was a quick yeah. war. I mean, I eventually ended up in Afghanistan, but no, at that moment, I never made it to the to the sandbox. But you would have assimilated quite well. I mean, you know, it's just moving yeah. from Arizona to that desert. It's all yeah, the same. That's it, pretty much. Yeah, not. I mean, there's almost as much gunfire there as there is here. Sure. So. Well, my son is a Marine when he was in the desert, and then he came here with me, and we had a dust storm, and I said something about, yeah, they call him Haboobs. He goes, it ain't nothing but a fancy name for the same kind of dust storm I had over there. (laughs) My wife hates the word Haboob, because I'm always like, maybe there'll be two, a pair of Haboobs. (laughs) We could see Haboobs all day long. It's really great. And they are interesting, I will tell you. They fascinate me just watching them. Yeah. so, yeah, and then it, it got to the point where I had to make a decision because I'd been in long enough that I was either going to make this a career or get out. You mm-hmm. know, it was time, time for that, that midline, that 10-year reenlistment point. And uh, while I was working with um, 
the, the feds, I got to know the U.S. Marshal for the Hawaiian Islands. And he took a liking to me and he said, hey, you should be a, you should be a marshal. And I said, I should be. You're absolutely right. So go ahead and ordain me. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> that's right. Where's your poster? I'm just waiting. Just yeah. <laughs> Don't you raise, need a poster. I mean, I saw a tombstone. You just raise your hand, right? I just swear me in. Let's do this, <laughs> <That's> right? <laughs> How hard can this be? He goes, ah, it's a little more technical than that. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever I got to do. So I went through all the testing there in Hawaii and, and got selected for a, a, a spot to go to Glencoe, Georgia. Oh, there's another outstanding place to go. Yeah, that's what I hear. You know? <laughs> close, to, close to Paris Island. You almost made the almost, Marine Corps almost made training. It. Yeah. And uh, and so I told the Army, I said, I'm out. You know, I'm done. I'm not going to re-enlist. I've got this slot in a couple of months to go to Glencoe. So I started out processing. And, and as, I was, as I was done out processing and I was getting ready to leave, that's when the government shut down. <laughs> I guess Bill Clinton got caught doing bad things with women and and they had to have a little distraction and but is is not is yeah. <laughs> it's all in your definition yeah and and uh and so the you know him and newt gingrich couldn't get along and so they shut the government down which means no federal hires yep which means that piece of paper with my name on it went on somebody's shelf and there it sat and so i now i don't have an army career right. or a, a career with the marshals and so i <laughs> that's all right those of us that were Counting on that federal check didn't get one either, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. still he had to work. <laughs> yeah, that was fun times. I can only imagine. Yeah, working for free in law enforcement sounds really fun. It is, absolutely, mm-hmm. especially yeah. for the families. <laughs> it's great times. Yeah, you're doing this for free? Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess I am. Yeah. Okay, see you later. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was interesting is while I was in the military, I was actually, I, I got so bad uh, financially that I had to go on to WIC. Um, here I am a middle manager running the army SWAT team and I have to, to, to feed my kids. I have to have financial assistance, assistance. Well, Hawaii wasn't exactly a cheap place to live. And that's still the case. Yeah. It's no different now, which is pathetic. That was, that was was a gut kick. Sure. When I had to go apply for WIC just to be able to feed my kids. Yep. You know, and and then leave them. And the worst part about that is because I had the same problem. And the worst part about that is, is that you get approved right away. You just say, yeah, I'm in the military. They say, bless you, my son. Yeah. <laughs> because they know you get paid like shit. Yeah. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's it. disgusting yeah. is what it is. And it's something that needs to change in this right. country. And I don't think it ever will. No. Yeah. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a pride swallowing experience mm-hmm. to say, I am at literally the tip of the spear mm-hmm. and I can't. I can't buy milk for my babies. And, you know, sadly, I think there's still a lot of Americans who have no idea. Oh, yeah. They think they think cops make a lot of money yep. and they think the military makes a yep. lot of money. And, yeah, they don't have a clue. Yeah. And it's not like we were living an expensive lifestyle. We had we had a minivan and we were Ooh. living on government in, in one of the bungalows there at Fort Shafter in Hawaii. And, uh you know, <laughs> that hmm, army Fort Shafter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't even know her. You know? <laughs> There's some irony. Right. Somebody got drunk in a bar and yeah. named that place. Yeah. Yeah. Right, by the, right by the beach. Come on, I want to lay you. You know, that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So being a Mormon boy, were you also Eagle Scout then? Yeah. I, yeah, I was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or I am. Not and, the, was, and the Marines still didn't take you. Man. Well, we didn't even get that far. <laughs> he wasn't He wasn't angry. That was the problem. That yeah. was it. You have to be angry going yeah. in there. Well, it's like, 
How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> Damn it. All right. See, mine got in because of his mother. Because <laughs> when they were talking to him and they were telling him, all, he, Marshall goes, you haven't met my mom, have you? And mom got to go. Yeah. And and they were like, yeah, we'll take your yeah, son. We'll, we'll cuddle Absolutely. around this guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's good times. <laughs> Totally lost my train of thought. No, so uh, so yeah, now I'm I'm freaking out. But well, the U.S. Marshals and it shuts down. It shuts and... down. So now I'm freaking out, and I'm and I told my wife, okay, well, I have all this training experience in law enforcement and tactics and, and stuff like that. Why don't I just be a cop? Cop? Are you in Arizona at that point, I'm still or you still in Hawaii? I'm still in okay. Hawaii. We're okay. getting ready to leave Hawaii, and so I just quickly do a resume and I shotgun this thing out to every agency in the state of Arizona, literally every local federal state or not federal local state and tribal you know county all of them they all got a, a shotgun envelope with my resume in it mm -hmm. and um, we ended up moving back to arizona uh we stayed with my my ex my wife at the time uh her parents for a little bit and i just started driving the state going to testing and stuff and uh what year is this this was 90 uh 1997 98 okay mm -hmm. um and I ended up getting hired by uh, Pima County Sheriff's Office down in Tucson. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll do this. I'll be a sheriff's deputy. You know, these guys yeah. are running and gunning. They're on the border. They're kicking ass, right? Sure. Uh, they made the mistake of letting me know that uh, they were going to send me to Ajo. <laughs> is that where the stingrays are <laughs> right. so everybody that doesn't live in arizona is, but everybody that does live in arizona is going oh no no because yeah that ajo is literally it's an open pit mine with like a farm general store next to it and that's yeah. it that's all ajo is yeah. hey it's better than el centro for the marines <laughs> okay i'll give you that yeah <laughs> and and my wife had never like, she had visited Arizona like in Scottsdale and stuff, but she had never. Where was she from? Michigan. The Scottsdale is oh. very different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. From my, she was she was born in Michigan and then she lived for a few years outside of Nashville. And, and a, this is a fun story. So her parents crazy wealth, but I didn't know right because she was also a soldier. That's how we met in the military. Mm -hmm. I, she never really. I mean, she said my my dad owns a business. They make you know it's a factory stuff. She never really. <laughs> And I'm the original Paul White East Mason Mormon boy, right? <laughs> Literally, you, you Google that, and my picture shows up. <laughs> and so first time I ever met them, we go back to their we, – we leave Fort Bragg. We drive to Nashville, mm -hmm. right? And they live just outside of Nashville in a town called Gallatin. Oh, yeah. There's a lake there, right? That's horse country. All of that is oh, horse. It's wealthy, wealthy yeah. horse oh, country. Oh, my yes. gosh, right? So we're driving up. And and like this, gone with the wind looking, <laughs> yep. pillars, sweeping staircase, you know. Rolling hills, green grass, I, I pull up and I was like, do your parents really work for these people? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, this is this is the house I grew up in. I get shut the front door, right? Man. And I'm just hearing that that song, that, 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 uh, uh, Pink Floyd song, money. <laughs> <laughs> it just starts playing in my head. I'm like, yes. Wait till I take her back home to Arizona. Right. Wait till they meet who she just married. Right. And so we walk up, meet the family. They're gracious, but they're they're giving me Excellent. side eye, right? Because sure. here's this PFC paratrooper with their daughter, you sure. know, and 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 with a ring on her finger and. So he walks me up to the third floor balcony. Oh boy! And he's, we're looking out over the lake, and I and it's a little inlet part of the lake, and right across the lake is this like white picket fence from one end to the other, and there's literally 
like flo- what do you call them? Herds or flocks of horses. <laughs> These beautiful horses just running, and there's this giant red barn and this big ranch style wraparound. Oh yeah, Birmingham style house, you know. And and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is beautiful. He goes, yeah, that's Reba McIntyre's house. Yep. Right. And I went, Reba, Reba McIntyre? <laughs> the Reba McIntyre. And then he goes, yeah, right next door, you see that house? That's Johnny Cash's house. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, where am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, who are you people? Who are you people? <laughs> <Somebody> <laughs> am I being punked right now? Right. 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 So they, the, there's, you know, there's the Mandrell sisters, their house, yeah. and, and, uh, and a couple of other like fancy rich people that you know, and they're just like, yeah, they're just my neighbors. Oh, yeah. Get out of town. And so that's the life that my wife was was used to, right? And so I take her to Ajo. <laughs> <laughs> this explains the X now. <laughs> right. Oh, there's a list, and this is on it. So oh, I take her to Ajo. God. We drive, you know, and of course you've got to go through the Barium Goldwater Gunnery Range mm-hmm. to get to Ajo. Of right? course. This place is so desolate and bad that <laughs> this is what they use to for for aerial bombing training <laughs> because there's nothing else out there. The lizards don't even want to be there, right? It's the southern portion of Area 54 <laughs> or whatever. And, yeah. and so you got to go through this. This is the this the is the gateway, yeah. the, the welcome sign, if you will, to Ajo. It's just this moonscape with craters from bombs, right? So we pull into Ajo. We spend the day in Ajo. We go to the Ajo Country Club because that's where she wanted to go. And they have one. <laughs> it's a trailer, but it's okay. Right. We, we checked out the local school. Mm-mm, right. <laughs> and, and so end of the day, we're driving back, heading back into towards um, Chandler at the time. And uh, she starts to cry. <laughs> she did. She just starts to weep. And I'm driving in this, you know, the sun setting. I'm like, oh, holy crap. What's the matter? <laughs> Are you okay? She goes, we left Hawaii for this? <laughs> I'd rather be there on wig. Right. I'm like, oh, crap. I got to fix this. So we get up the next morning, and uh, I had been through the, the, the whole testing process with a couple of different agents. I was just waiting for somebody to call me, right? Had the psychological, all of it done. Um, and so I just started picking up the phone, and I'm calling these other agencies, the recruiter. And I said, look, I want to work for you. Yeah, my wife's going to leave me if you don't hire County me. Pinell County is going to start paying me on Monday to go through their academy. I don't want to work in Pinell County. Wait, well, Pinell I didn't or mind, Pima? But, uh, Pima, Pima, sorry, okay. Pima, yeah. I don't want to work in Pima County because they're going to send me to Ajo. I want to work for you. What can we do? And Chandler PD were the first people to call back. Mm. And they said, come see the chief. And so I threw my suit on and I went in and I saw Chief Bobby Joe Harris. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he hired me right then and there to, to as a civilian to, to just do – basic administrative things until they could get me into an academy class. And that's how my law enforcement career started. wonder what it would have looked like if Phoenix had hired him and put him in Maryvale. <laughs> <laughs> Still better than Ajo. Oh, yeah. oh, well, yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. Well, I can it's drive a metropolitan a, I, I area. Can, well, I, I ended up working for Phoenix. I and, know. And, yeah, so it has, some, it has some interesting places there, too. It does. But, yeah, that's what started my career in law enforcement. And and I had some interesting things happen to me in the military, some stuff that, that – uh, Interesting. I shouldn't say interesting. Some some very um, appropriate things to discuss in this format, mm-hmm. um, along with military stuff. And it and it uh, yeah. After thirty years, that's a lot of baggage to have to unpack. And so I'm very grateful that I uh, get to be a part of this and help other people. Yes, we he will be going through our next stress coach certification, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to start. Actually, we've got a schedule of three day 
peer support training for MCSO. They now want one okay. before the end of December. I'm like, well, nothing like giving me a little notice here, boys <laughs> and girls, but okay. Um, so, yeah, so Jason is very much going to be a part of Under the Shield and has a lot of experience to share and pass on words of wisdom and all of that good stuff. So how much did I never had the honor of meeting the chief Bobby Joe Harris, but I feel like I know him. I think we might have been soulmates somewhere. It <laughs> could have been um, once we got over fighting with each other, probably. But yeah. um, how much did he allow you to use your training, all this specialized training that you had? You know what? He recognized, well, the, that's kind of how our, our conversation started is I walked into his office and he sat there and he's got his reading glasses on. He's looking at my, my file. And the first thing he says is paratrooper, huh? One like, of yes, those. Now uh, nah, it's almost as good as a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter? Couldn't get the Marine Corps? <laughs> well, he asked me, he goes, why didn't you become a Marine? I said, well, they wouldn't let me jump out of airplanes. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me be the guy on the they poster? They wouldn't let me be the guy on the wall. And the yeah. Army said I could. Sure. So I went with the Army. Maybe we need a poster. With somebody on it. What, the before or after? <laughs> Tom in his boots. <laughs> on a little mini bike. <laughs> oh. With his helmet, yes. Oh, I just, I'm, I'm scarred. <laughs> so how long were you at Chandler? I was at Chandler for about eight years. Okay, what all did you get to do there? Everything but work with the dog. Uh, I Well, I started out on patrol, and I did my, my two years. I got right off of probation. As soon as I got off of probation... Uh, they opened up testing for SAU, which is their version of SWAT, and uh, a unit called the NRT, which was the Neighborhood Re Response Team. And mm -hmm. those were the those were the jack of all trade guys. And I said, well, I I have I've done all of that before. I'm going to test and mm -hmm. see what happens. And so I tested, and I got picked up to do both at the same time. Chandler didn't have a full time SWAT team, right. and so I you could be a detective and on SWAT. And so I got hired to be on the NRT, and I got hired to be on SAU. Um, and the NRT is, like I said, it's a jack of all trades. And I had no idea from day to day what we would be doing. We, you know, we, one day we're doing plainclothes surveillance. The next day we're, we're, uh, we were all bicycle certified. And so we're working at a festival and the next day we're, you know, we're kicking in a door for, for narcotics. And the next day we're, we're at the city council meeting providing security is it just, you never knew from day to day. And I just, uh, I just thrived in that environment because, they gave us a lot of latitude. They really loosened up the leash on us and mm -hmm. let us just go out and catch bad guys mm -hmm. and focus. We we didn't have to. We we weren't first responders as far as like paper calls and dog barking dogs and stuff, um, but we had a patrol function and so we could we could hyper focus on a house. Mm -hmm. You know that one house that right. would always be you know three times a week we're getting a call there or or you know random shots fired at, at three o'clock in the morning every other Thursday and so we would just set up and wait. Or we would do street buys, or we would work with uh, street-level prostitution. We did what were called VDOs, vice drugs and organized crime. And so that became our forte. And uh, eventually the NRT morphed, morphed into uh, what is called street crimes, and that ended up being a pseudo-tactical team. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everybody on that team was, was SWAT certified, and so we just became basically a full-time element um, for the city. Mm -hmm. And when we weren't kicking indoors or, or hunting bad guys and we were running our own cases. Uh, but it was just, it was just an amazing time. And I just got to, you know, I got, I ended up on the East Valley gang task force and I worked, um, the biggest at the time, the biggest narcotics investigation in the city of Chandler's history was operation tune up. 
Uh, we did. Oh, four. that sounds like a real. That <laughs> sounds like my kind of operation. Yeah, we we did like four simultaneous search warrants, and we we indicted twenty one people, and we just it really put it really put a dent in things. And and uh, that I was the it was me and another detective were the two lead detectives on that, and so. And then I got to work at the academy a little bit. I taught uh, defensive tactics and driving. And, and, and that uh, was at Phoenix? The Phoenix Academy, yeah. Okay. Um, and I was a firearms instructor. And so all the fun cop stuff, not the, you know, not the report writing or, sure. you know, court procedures. Mm -hmm. But uh, but never considered going to the feds once they opened back up well, they for actually the U.S. Marshals. Back. They actually called back after mm -hmm. a year. And I was like, well, my family's settled. I've got this job now. I'm mm -hmm. going to be catching more bad guys more often as a cop than I will as a fed and sure. I won't have to uproot my family and, right. and homestead someplace else. And so I, I had a conversation with my wife at the time and she's like, look, you know, you got out of the military because you were always leaving and going someplace and we were always moving and I'm like, well, we could make a home. We could make a career here, you know, and I could do 20 and, and then we could find something else. I'd still be young enough to be a fed after that. If, sure. You no. Know. Um, you're so, like, you'd wind up in Aho or yeah, that's somewhere right. else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another garden we're spot. Gonna, yeah. And and so I, I I told him thanks but no thanks and I you know I'm here mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna bleed blue now and so that's where I ended up and so you left Chandler I did I uh, I left Chandler in oh six or oh seven and that was under Kyler it was it was under uh, Her Majesty Cherry Kyler <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 I'm just gonna laugh all I'm gonna do Her Grace mm -hmm. uh, she didn't like it when I bowed in front of her like I curtsied and stuff. <laughs> Kiss the ring. That might have been why she hated me so much. <laughs> no, I got sideways with a couple of supervisors. You know, they hired me. I can't imagine that at all. Well, they hired they hired me from my bullshit meter. Mm -hmm. And they said, go outside, turn your bullshit meter on, and solve problems, right? And so I, I told them, well, I'm not turning that off when I walk in the building. You know, right. what you're doing is illegal. Mm -hmm. This right here, what you've done is illegal. You can't do that. We've put people in prison for this. You can't do that. You know, this over here is immoral. Mm -hmm. This is unethical. This is an officer's safety issue. You're going to get somebody killed. I mean, there was one time, you, you probably, I think you might have been there for this. We, we sent two officers to clown college. Clown? Legit. I didn't know this existed, but there's a place where you send them to teach people <laughs> and they get certified to be a clown. I knew there were clown colleges, but I didn't know police ever went well, they, to it. Somebody had the bright idea that if we had two clowns that could walk around and do balloon animals and inter interact with the crowd, they would, they would like police more. You're right. This is the thought at the time. I, and I was like, well, why don't we catch bad guys? Hmm. You know, maybe that would help people like, like cops yeah. more right. if there wait, weren't any wait, bad guys. Wait, wait. <laughs> who, who became the clowns? Tom? No, is there something no, you're holding no. out on us? About? I I'll, think Tom went I'll to tell you. College. I'll tell you off air who the clowns are. Okay. Um, but they said, did they volunteer? I, I remember them after the clown college. Yeah. But, did yeah, they that, volunteer or that was a disciplinary? You've been uh, bad. They we're send I think, you. I think yeah. that there was some volunteering going yeah. on. Wow. And so the legit, wow. they spent all the money. They got the. Of the, the the uh, uh, nose, yeah. the big fluffy, the and big the, the big feet. shoes, everything, everything, and they got all this balloon making kit. They actually went to wherever Clown College is. They paid for their hotels and all that stuff. Wow! So they come back, right? And and I'm watching this guy put his <laughs> shoes on. <laughs> at the same time, I'm looking at my my level three vest, and it's five years expired. Wow! On on SAE, wow. right? Because I was one of the new guys, so I got the old equipment, right? Sure. And I'm like, this is five years expired. But you'll and pay I'm for looking, this. And, and so we had a we had a SWAT meeting, and they were talking about how we're going to have to curtail training and all that because of budget. 
there was a, they really didn't like the SWAT team at the time because we were a bunch of A-type chess pounders and we weren't going to put up with that nonsense, right? Sure. And so during the meeting, I raised my hand and I said, sir, how much did those clown shoes cost? <laughs> and oh, there was boy. this big yell back at Mao thing about the budget. You don't understand <laughs> the line items. And oh, I said, well, yeah. it all comes from the same place. Absolutely. You know, wow. you paid for clown shoes. But I can't get a freaking I can't get an updated level three vest. And you're asking me, you you made me the point man on this freaking team. Wow. You're telling me to be the first one through the door, literally, but my vest is five years expired. Wow. And so that started to build upon itself. Um and then so eventually I saw the writing on the wall because they started doing stuff. They started messing with me big time. Um and I said, Well, I, I don't need this, you know. I there are places that'll that'll throw money at me sure. because of, you know, I came from the military with all this experience and training. And then you give me a million dollars of tactical experience and training. Sure. I'm going to take this someplace else. And so I started sending feelers out about uh, wanting to find someplace else. And, and some people reached out to me and asked me to, if I wanted to be a um, military contractor. Hmm. And so I said, let me see if I get this right. You're going to give me two buckets of money. <laughs> I get to go to Afghanistan and deal with the Taliban, but I don't have to shave or polish my boots or salute or do KP. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Where do I sign? <laughs> Here we go. Right? So I left Chandler, and about a month later, I'm off to Virginia to go to some quaint little farm outside of, Virgi outside of uh, Alexandria, to Virginia. And I spent three weeks there proving to them that everything that was on my resume was true. Mm -hmm. um, and I, they put me in with a, with a cohort of, of very like-minded individuals. And they shipped us off to Afghanistan. And I spent 13 months there um, just skipping through the countryside, doing good deeds for people and, and helping them. <laughs> Helping them relate with their uh, little old their, ladies cross the street. Yeah, you Absolutely. know they really wanted to see the face of their God, and I facilitated that. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know we did uh, counter narco, took out poppy fields, and did weapons interdiction and human smuggling, and and I taught at the at the uh, uh, National Police Academy in Herat, Afghanistan, for a while. I taught yes. Afghan soldiers how to become cops, which is the equivalent of herding cats. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I could only do that for a little bit before I wanted to suck start my own pistol. And so I ended up politicking for a different job and I became the mentor and advisor to all the tribal leaders and warlords in the Northwestern region of Afghanistan. So everything from Herat, Afghanistan, all the way to the Iranian border, which is only like 90 miles away, and then up to Turkmenistan and on the mountain region up there and, and down into the Helman province, which is where all the poppies are. They would, I would go with a select group of military guys and we would live and work with the Afghan leaders in their villages. And we would just spend days or weeks at a time with them and help them develop their villages, you know, build infrastructure and train their militias. And I would work with the, with the chiefs of police and the tribal warlords and teach them, you know, democratic methods of law enforcement and talk to their people. And we would go out on patrol with them. And Did you speak their language? I did not. No, and they I, didn't speak English? There are a couple of them did. Um, there were some, some incredibly well-educated people that mm -hmm. are in Afghanistan, and they're there because they love their country and they sure. want to change. Um, but I had, a, I had a couple of interpreters that went everywhere with me um, because there are three major languages mm -hmm. that are spoken in Afghanistan. There's uh, Chajik, Dari, and Pashtun. Mm -hmm. And there's no national pride or unity in Afghanistan. Everything's tribal. And so you had to be very careful who you were with, the customs that they dealt with. And, and 
the language that they spoke. And, and that's one of the reasons I didn't want to teach at the academy anymore is because I had to have three interpreters with me. Mm -hmm. And I had to separate my class because they would kill each other if they sat next to each other sure. because they hated each other. But now I'm going to hand them a Kalashnikov and, <laughs> <laughs> and some yeah, body armor. And, 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 and that makes me that? really nervous not knowing if the translator is actually my friend and right. actually saying what right. I'm saying. Right. And you're going, yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, the white devil over here says that this is what we should do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Got his throat while he's sleeping. I, yeah. You know, something. Yeah. Got, and, and, you know, and you never really slept. And I always walked around strapped and, 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 uh, We'd go out to the firing range and we would do basic marksmanship training. And I had a little snubby 12-gauge shotgun because there's no law in Afghanistan. You can carry whatever. Sure. Those little pump-action snubby shotgun that I carry around. And I put a watermelon up on the stand and I would blow the watermelon off the stand. And I would said, and I'd point to it and I would just start walking up and down the firing line. Nobody gave me a second look, you know. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah, Mr. Jason means business. I'm like, yeah, I do. I do. I'm going home. My son is a Marine, did some training uh, with that crew and he was always amazed at how they couldn't understand to stay back till all fire yeah. stopped that they're literally running up on live rounds and he was like it was like watching antelope i mean they're off and running before you <laughs> could even say anything. yeah yeah they, they have this they have this this um this thought process it's called inshallah which basically it says it's God's will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so whatever happens is inshallah. And so marksmanship was secondary to how many rounds can I put down range? Mm -hmm. And so I would have to stop them and explain to them, hey, you're a cop now. You're responsible for every round. Yeah. Because what if one of those rounds hits a kid? Well, inshallah. Mm -hmm. if, mm -hmm. they, if the God wanted that kid not to get shot, then the bullet wouldn't have hit him. You know, and, and how as a Western thinking American police officer do I process that? And do I, how do I facilitate that? Sure. Because I'm not there to teach them to be American cops. I'm just there to teach them police tactics. Right. And let them shoot each other. And they have no problem throwing kerosene on a woman because she was disrespectful. And mm -hmm. I sure. mean, it's just it's crazy. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was crazy. Uh -huh. And then uh, along with that and then dealing with the, the, the combat aspects of where I was and all of that, you know, the rocket attacks and the, the IEDs. IEDs. And, and it, yeah. You know, it, it was, it was, um, it was, uh, it was an, an incredibly educational experience. And um, I'm very grateful for that opportunity because I can speak with some authority about what's happening in Afghanistan because I was on, I was ground zero to it. Sure. Um, and I can also speak to the aspects of combat and I can speak to the aspects of law enforcement. And along with having been in the military, having been a, a, a civilian cop and everything that I experienced, now I'm experiencing all this. And so I, I, I have this ability now to relate mm -hmm. um, to pretty much every aspect because there isn't much that I haven't experienced. Like I said, I haven't flown the helicopter and I haven't worked with the dogs. But other than that, there's nothing in law enforcement or military I haven't done. Sure, sure. And so as you're watching what's happening currently oh my gosh. in the Gaza Strip with Israel and the Hezbollah and Hamas and Iran backing it and we're seeing a lot of things that we should have seen pre 9 11 right. even yeah um yeah it's got to bring back a whole lot of the same stuff that yeah well calling them hezbollah uh hamas taliban al-qaeda is like saying crips and bloods mm -hmm. it, it's two sides of the same coin and yeah. they've been fighting for hundreds of years right. uh, uh, this is not new stuff right. it's no. just new tactics now no. and 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 to to equate them to to morals and standards that we understand in America, it's like it's like trying to equate a Martian, mm -hmm. you know. And 
And one of the big problems that we had in Afghanistan, and I recognize this quite early, is that we would go over there and demand that they be American in their yeah. thinking. Yeah. And then we would, you know, these guys live in a, in a patriarchal society where the village elder is, you live or die by his word. Mm -hmm. And then we would walk in with a, a, a female army captain and she would be barking commands at him. And we, <laughs> and, and we expect them to listen to yeah. us or so right. for them to show us respect or yeah. anything like that. You know, exactly. it, it's not that that female army captain wasn't capable and wasn't educated and well, well, well had the ability to lead is that in that environment, that culture does. That, that was that doesn't matter what that, that woman. Was, you you just slapped the village elder right in his yeah. face. Absolutely. Everybody saw that. Sure. And so he had to do something to gain favor back, uh, and you know, and then to to demand that they think Western in their thinking that's going to take generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Never happen. Yeah, and, and you know, and then and they they that culture recognizes masculinity, recognizes mm -hmm. strength. And they will literally switch sides in a battle if they think that their side is losing. Mm -hmm. They would rather be on the winning side, regardless <laughs> of the outcome. Sure. So they'll there there has been times during the fight where they'll turn because they're like, well, we're taking fire now. We're going to lose. I'm yeah. going to be on the winning side. And so they recognize machismo and strength and and men with beards and the ability to project energy and strength. And so when they see us restraining ourselves and using you know appropriate responses and, and not just killing mm -hmm. they have no respect for us at that point you know and that's why they have no problem hiding in schools and and using human shields and stuff because they they think differently yeah and i'm not saying that we need to change our tactics and start targeting civilians but we need to understand that when we don't project power and strength when we don't prove that we are the greatest military the world has ever known then they don't care, and that's why they have no problem fighting us because they know that if we if they can fill enough body bags, mm -hmm. we'll leave. Yeah. yeah, they don't. And George Washington had the same philosophy, and um, Ho Chi Minh actually studied George Washington and used that same philosophy in Vietnam. Is that I don't have to lose, or I don't have to win every battle. I just keep, don't lose. Yep. So I fight and run away. Right? Sure. And that's that's the tactic they're using on us now because they know that we're not mentally strong enough. Mm -hmm. to, to do what needs to be done. That we look at war as as 30-second soundbite and an opportunity for somebody to get rich, not as a complete failure of politics and the last resort, which needs to be dealt with right now and as quickly and as violently as possible. And we need to leave an impression on the enemy that I am never going to cross the Americans again. I want them to be my right. friend. Yep. But we have rules of engagement that hold us back right? because we're at least willing to try to follow those. Oh, I, I get it. We don't want to kill yeah. civilians. Absolutely. That's... This is why you deploy the Marine mom with the Marine. <laughs> right. I ain't got no Geneva Convention connections right. and rules of engagement. But and, and you're making a point, too, of something that has bothered me, that when you have the International Association of Chiefs of Police think it's a good idea to send U.S. police officers to Dubai to the police academy, why? Exactly. Why? Why? Because what? What am I going to learn from Dubai? Right. Because right. they're so much like Chandler, Arizona, and mm -hmm. we can do the same things to women. I, it to me, it's I don't even know what justification we could have for that. Right. Yeah, it makes no sense. None at all. And so, any more than it would be to send Dubai people here, because like you're we saying, we actually had had some from Saudi Arabia and mm -hmm. from the UAE when I was going through the academy. They were actually there. And I'm sure they were able to take the Western way back. 
and it made <laughs> human, human, huge changes that we can clearly Absolutely. see yeah. now how everything Absolutely. is, yeah, whatever. Yes. So you finish over there and you decide. I finish over there. I decide to come home. Uh, while I'm over there, um, I, I see the writing on the wall because the wife's on me again. Like, hey, this is, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. You're gone, you know. And so I said, oh, all right, now I'm having the time of my life and I'm making all <laughs> kinds of money. But no, we'll, we'll do what you want to do. That's right. fine. <laughs> and so I, uh, I reach out again and, and uh, they have Phoenix had a recruiter that was specifically focused on laterals. And I hadn't been out of the game for three years. And so my certs were still, still good. And so I reached out to the lateral at Phoenix and uh, they picked me up. And uh, I told them, don't even write my name down if I can't work in South Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And she looks at me and she, well, we were doing this over Zoom, right? <laughs> it's funny because there's 12 and a half hour difference between where I was in Herat, <laughs> Afghanistan and Phoenix, Arizona. So you're asking yourself, what's with the half an hour? Right. Right. Yeah. right. So the joke is Afghanistan is so poor, they can't afford the, the, the next 30 minutes. So, <laughs> but for some, there's like two, it's like, it's like Afghanistan and I think Zimbabwe or something like that. There's only two places that have this unique time zone. So we'd have to, you know, it'd have to be early in the morning for her and late at night for me when we would be able to talk to each other. And, and uh, so we're doing this over Zoom. And, and there was one time we were actually doing a, a Zoom call. And I got, I don't know, 13 seconds into the call, and we got a rocket attack on the base. And Hold so, on, time out. Yeah, so I'm like, the, the thing shakes, and I went, got to go. And I <laughs> shut it down real quick and went out and did my thing. And, and it was like two days, three days before I could talk to her again. And so opened it back up, and I'm like, hey. She goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about what just happened. Yeah. Yeah, I've been sitting there in Phoenix for three days going, going what just happened? You know? I think we lost your recruit. <laughs> <laughs> ah, he was a good one. Let's take yeah. it. Let's get those bagpipes out. Let's take him off the board there. <laughs> so I ended, up, uh, I ended up getting recruited uh, for Phoenix, and uh, you know, I told him, that I wanted to work in South Phoenix. And that's at the time in uh, 08, it was still the Wild West. It's really changed quite a bit. Um, they brought in some housing developments and they really tried to clean it up. But at the time, it was the last place in Phoenix where you could still be a real cop, mm -hmm. you know, and you had everything. We even had a stampede of horses go north on Central. <laughs> I mean, literally, it is a gunfight every night, helicopter rides, donut runs, dog bites, all of it, just every night. I mean, you had to put the blinders on to go home, or you could just keep working. <laughs> but wait a minute. Now, wasn't there a story about a bull and Chandler? Were you, part of, were you at Chandler with the bull? <laughs> Behind the lows. Oh, Chandler and the So we price. got horses yeah. in Phoenix, but we got a bull oh, in yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He yeah. took a 308 right to the Julio. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and I remember that call. And they were like, and what are we going to do now? I'm going heading to the, you know, to the station to, to secure for the night. And I'm thinking, I, I have no business going over there. This is going to end badly. Yeah. Just go home. But horses could run up in Phoenix. And yeah, we had five or six horses at a dead run going north on Central from like wow. Southern. You know, and yeah. like, wow. they don't recognize red lights, right? And I, so, <laughs> well, somebody should educate them. You know, I, I felt like that guy, you know, you pull up next to him, pull over. <laughs> <laughs> so, we need signs on Central that horse crossing. Yes. No, so, we, uh, we, uh, we're, we're chasing after these horses and we have to get past them to go shut down the intersection because uh, 12, how, many, how much does a horse weigh? Yeah. It's going to broadside a car on a red light. <laughs> And so we have to, and that's just making them run harder because uh -huh. now he's <laughs> going past them. We finally get him 
off the road and into an auto body shop there at the river bottom and, and we corral them in there. And it, that auto shop ends up being a chop shop. And it was just, it was a long night. And, <laughs> you know, the guys working in the chop shop, you know, those penguins on Madagascar, they're like, smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. As all these cops are swinging past them trying to stop these horses. Wow. Yeah. Good times. You too should come out here and be a law enforcement officer. You want you know, all kinds and, of excitement. You know, and we just, it was just a, it was an amazing place to work. Mm -hmm. And it's the same, same type of crime. It's just the volume mm -hmm. is different than what it was in Chandler. I mean, we had homicides and, and gangs and stuff, but it was, it was the volume. And it was always, there was always something, always a hot tone, always something going on. And I just thrived in this environment. And I was just having an amazing time. And, and uh, I was, we, we were having the hiring freeze at the time. We were down like 500 officers. And so, no, there was no movement. So I was on the list for both SAU, Phoenix SAU, and, and I was shadowing um, K-9. Because ah. I wanted to retire with a dog. I, that's the only thing I hadn't done yet is work a dog. And so I, both of those career paths were wide open for me. And that's, that's when I ended up getting wounded. And, uh, and the bottom dropped out of everything. And what happened? I was chasing a bad guy. Um, it was the end of my shift. I just worked a full 10 hours and I was pulling into the precinct there at uh, Central and Southern at the 400 precinct. And I was just about ready to push that magic 10-7 button on my MDC when a call came out that uh, the third shift guys are chasing a guy just down the street. And uh, so I have a choice. You know, I can go home. Who's going to care? Nobody's going to care. It's third shift's problem. Push mm -hmm. that 10-7 and I'm out, right? Or I can turn my patrol car around. Well, this is a no-brainer for me. This is what I do. I hunt armed men. Mm -hmm. This is what I've done my entire adult life. So I turn my patrol car around and get involved in this chase, end up in a foot chase. And while I'm chasing after this guy, I feel this tremendous pain in the back of my leg where my hand, where my, my leg meets my butt right in that crease right there. And I said to myself, as I'm running, man, if, if I'm going to wake up with a pulled hamstring, this guy's going to have my handcuffs on him when he goes to jail. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? There's a price to pay. For He's going to, I'm going to look him in the eyes and I'm going to go, I caught you. <laughs> You're right. And so that made me want to run after him even harder. And the harder I ran, the more it hurt, the more it hurt, the more I wanted to catch this guy. And, and uh, purpose is your pain. Absolutely. <laughs> right? I mean, blood has been shed. I'm, I'm getting my pound of flesh. This guy's. He would be wise just to stop and let me have him. Exactly. Just stop. And what's going to happen isn't going to happen, right? So the other, we, we try to develop a perimeter and the air, the air unit shows up. So he realizes he's not going to get away. And he, like any good criminal, he turns around on me and squares up like a boxster. So instead of stopping and pulling my taser or whatever, I just. I'm a bull in a china shop, right? Mm -hmm. I'm full head of steam, so I dick butt kiss this guy. <laughs> Open field tackle linebacker right there in the dirt, and we just start beating the mustard out of each other. And he tries those at MMA bull crap on me, and he just doesn't know that's my hobby. You know, that's what I do for fun. And and he tries to get my gun, and he rips my radio off of my lapel. And I mean, this is a proper scrap. And I finally get my handcuffs on him, and I roll him over in the dirt. And, I stand up over the top of him like WWE superstar wrestler Randy Macho Man Savage. I go, where are you going, Billy? And, uh, and that's when I felt this, this tremendous white hot pain. and went shooting up my spine and down both my legs. And it hurt so bad that it, it sucked the air out of my lungs. And I couldn't form a conscious thought. I couldn't understand what was happening. So my first conscious thought was, i just been shot. And so what do you do? I got to get down. I got to mm -hmm. find cover. But I couldn't move. I'm like, move. Nothing's happening. From a standing From a position. standing. I'm like, get down. Nothing's happening, right? It's not making any sense. And so my next thought was, did I just tase myself? <laughs> yeah. Right? And so I looked down and my taser's intact. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? 
and it, it and tears are literal coming out of my eyes now. It hurts so bad, and I can't breathe. I can't communicate. My radio's been ripped off. So it took them a minute to figure out where we were. The other squads get there. The uniforms are there. Six or eight other guys. And Sarge walks up, and Bossy looks me in the eye, and he sees what's happening. He goes, "Mao, are you okay?" And I went, <laughs> "No, <laughs> it's the allergy season right now. <laughs> I should probably go to the hospital." <laughs> so, like an idiot, I drive myself to the hospital. Well, I'm, I'm not getting locked in an ambulance with those wingnut firemen. It's not going to happen. Because <laughs> the last thing I need is handlebar mustache going. We're going to cut your pants off now, Mal. <laughs> oh, look, look! Apparently, you aren't Jewish. Look at this. <laughs> Because you know that's what's going to happen, right? Sure. We know each other. It's a love-hate relationship. Sure. Chandler or Phoenix Fire and Phoenix PD have a great relationship, and we're at each other's throats all There's the time. There's a new name for them that we just recently learned. <laughs> what is that? They're slab savers. Slab savers. Yes, because they never saved the house, but they saved the <laughs> oh, yeah. God, they are so good at that. <laughs> yeah. right? And you know, I, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm a big, strong paratrooper. I'm a SWAT cop. This, I'm just going to walk this off. This sure. is nothing, right? I am. I am. I refuse to accept the fact that I'm hurt. Mm -hmm. What I should have done is fallen over in the fetal position and just let the medics help me. That's what I should have done because the, the next uh, to this point in my life would have been completely different. But I'm like, no, no, I don't get paid to be hurt. I don't get and I can't tell anybody because it's not a safe place. Mm -hmm. I can't say anything. And we all know what that what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. You know, you're, it, you, you become that guy, right? I'm not going to be that guy. Sure. And so I, I find a way to walk to my patrol car and I find a way to drive to the hospital. And long story short, um, the doctor, they do MRIs and x-rays and stuff. And he brings the film in and he puts it up on the whiteboard. You know, that thing when you turn the lights on. Yeah. So here's my, I know people in podcast land can't see my hands, but here's my hips and my legs go down like this. And right in the middle of both my thighs are these two big white splotches like this. And I've been, I've, broken enough bones and been in enough ERs to know that that's not right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I said, doc, Oh, what is that? And he gets, he gets real serious. You know how when docs <laughs> like the register lowers a little bit yeah. and they lean in and he goes yes. like, I cannot explain medically what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> okay. And, and I don't know how I cannot explain what's happening here, but what you have done is you have completely detached both of your hamstring muscles from oh. your pelvis bone. Okay. You've ripped them completely off. Right. Oh, that makes me hurt. Yeah, that's oh. what I did. I went, oh, that looks oh, like that hurts. Not good. <laughs> and he, he goes, I don't even know how you walked in here. Yeah, no kidding. This makes, I cannot medically explain what's happening right here. And, and he looks at me and he goes, either you have an extremely high tolerance for pain or you're too dumb to know it hurts. <laughs> right? Either way, well, <laughs> some from column A, some from column B. Right? <laughs> Is there a third? <laughs> thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Finally, somebody that gets my joke. Um, so, and he goes, you need to lie down. Right? And so I did. And I lost the ability to walk. It took me three years to get back up. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, he was telling me this story, and I was just like, I can't even fathom it. How do they even fix that? Great question, <laughs> right? So what they do is... little needle and thread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some essential oil. Oh, right? We're going to tap it out. Take your vitamin B complex. Yeah. You'll be fine. We're going to do some stretching. We're going to hydrate. <laughs> little little uh, yoga, goat yoga. Yeah. We'll do one. Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the acronym? Rice, right? Rice, rest. <laughs> yeah. Rest. Compression, elevation. Yeah. 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 So what they have to do, uh, and I'll show you guys the pictures of this later, Um. 
is they, you know where the, the, the smiley face crease is right there on your butt where your leg and your, and your behind? They, they start from the, from the no man's land and they cut all the way to the outside. And they can only do one leg at a time because it takes a year to recover. Oh, oh wow. right? God. And so they lift up the whole butt muscle. They cut through all of that and they get down to the pelvis bone. And then they drill holes in the pelvis. They reach down my leg. They pull up the hamstring muscle. And then they have to trim off the atrophied and damaged parts. So my leg wasn't straight when they sort it back on. I had to damage it more to get it to straighten out again. And they, they put screws in those holes and they bring the, 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 the muscle up and they bind it with some bailing wire from Home Depot or something. <laughs> yeah. and, I have to, and I have to hold completely still for months as scar tissue forms over that. And that's all it's holding my legs on is some, some twine and scar tissue. And it takes a year before you can do anything to it to see if it's going if it's healed. But that's only if you take one out. I took both, and, and according to my doctors, I don't know if this is completely true, but according to my all my doctors and physical therapists, is they had never seen somebody pull both of them off at the same time. And so they were figuring this out as we went along and how we were going to sure. fix this. So usually, what it is is that after a year you start doing physical therapy. But my other leg was bad. And so I couldn't use my other leg and I couldn't work on the, walk on this leg. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to walk normally again. Because after a year, I'd had to do it all over again for the other leg. Mm -hmm. He said he literally Jeez. lay on his stomach. No, on my back. Oh, I, on your I, back. I, I had to lay flat on my back for months and months. Oh, and I, all of my coping mechanisms were gone. They, I couldn't do anything. And... So you couldn't have a bed that tilted up as long no, as because any strain, strain, any strain would have wow. popped him right off. Man, that's crazy. So try going to the bathroom, <laughs> and you can't move your legs. This looks like a fountain at that point, <laughs> just yeah. shooting straight up. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I mean, he made a or, game or out straight of it. down. <laughs> yeah. So and I and when we found out how badly I was injured, my wife divorced me. Yeah. Twenty three nice. years, two kids. She dropped me like a hot rock. So he's going through all this by himself. Yep. I, when when I finally hit rock bottom, I was homeless. Unemployable, divorced, crippled, and financially ruined all at the same time. Because, and, be, like because of the injury, that was the culmination of everything that I experienced in my life, and it broke me. The injury left me physically incapable of getting up. Everything else that I had experienced in my life, it broke me, and I had nothing. I, I was literally in a crockpot of my own emotional filth, and I couldn't even get up to to try to stop what was happening to me from happening. And at what point in the basically two-year process of getting one fixed and then having to do the other one, at what point did the divorce happen? Beginning of the whole mess? Right. Uh, it started at the beginning of them, and it, it happened, the, 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 the final process happened in between the two. And Phoenix, I'm sure, took very good care of you, didn't they? I signed a non-disclosure agreement. Mm -hmm. um, because after about five years, we ended up getting ready to walk into a jury trial. And, um, well. What, they, but, I mean, was it deemed Wartman's comp in the beginning? Or we can't? It's all public record, but I have signed a non-disclosure agreement. Okay. And I am not allowed to talk about it. Um, what, right, so what we'll, put, we'll put that link on the Facebook. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but there are but lots I of people. But I can say that they did not take care of him. Well, there, uh, there are lots of people that have done the research and have asked people that knew me at the time. Um, so it's out there. I just can't go into. All I can say is that it was that um, 
that was as close to death as I have ever come. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I did not suck start my own pistol <clears throat> is because I knew that my mom was going to find me. Mm -hmm. And I had seen enough of that as a cop to know mm -hmm. what she was going to walk into. Sure. And I couldn't do that to her. I said, I, I, there's still, there's still morality, enough morality left in me to say that I can't do that to my mom. Sure. Because I knew what she was going to see. And I right. knew that I, the pain wouldn't go away. I would just transfer it to her. Mm -hmm. And she was not in, she was suffering from Parkinson's disease and, and, um, you know, and I couldn't even pick my own mom up when she fell down. That's how fragile our relationship was. The last thing I needed was for her to walk in and see that. Sure. And so, um, did, were there friends that still came around? Not really. Okay. Um, there was a period of time there about a year and a half when I didn't, I didn't get a phone call. I didn't hear from anybody. Um, it was, did people know? Not really because I was in so much pain and I hurt so much that I just kind of pulled back into my cave mm -hmm. and didn't, uh, didn't talk to anybody. Sure. Um, I mean, I, my family knew and, but Again, I, I, there is so much more to the story that I wish I could say, but. Well, it's not like the macho military uh, cops going to be calling people going, right. hey, by the way. Uh, yeah, by the know. way, I'm homeless and helpless yeah. and unemployable and, and I can't move. Can right. you bring me food? Right. You know, that's, that's not who I am. Sure. I am a servant. I suffer so that somebody else doesn't have to. Right. You know, and, and I am a private person to begin with. I'm not anymore, but I had to learn to. Right. To, to spit the poison out. And, sure. and instead of spitting the poison out or finding a safe place or, or something, I just absorbed it and it broke me. Sure. It absolutely, it burned me to the carbon and there was nothing left of me. And so the book, hmm. when, when did the book become an idea that you were going to write? Well, what happened is that I had to make a choice. Mm -hmm. I'm a problem solver, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're, we're a type Old of personality. That's, that's literally what I am is I solve people's problems, you mm -hmm. know, and, and this was a problem that nobody else could fix. You know, if, if you call for a SWAT team, there's nobody else coming. Mm -hmm. I have to solve that problem. If you call for paratroopers, there's nobody else coming. I have to solve that problem. And so I said, okay, well, this is victory or death. These are the two choices that I have. And I can't choose death because I'm not going to pass that pain on to somebody else. So it has to be victory. Mm -hmm. And in order to say victory, then I had to be okay with what that looked like. Well, you have to admit you have a problem. Yeah, right. I have a problem. That, that's the whole, that's the I bottom line. And so to admit, to, to accept victory and say, well, I have to be okay with how this turns out. And that means that I have to be okay with whatever the plan is. Mm -hmm. And that drew me back to my faith, you know, and I don't push my faith on anybody else, but I'm a, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And, mm -hmm. and I said, well, okay, if there's a, a in, in my view, if there's a loving, benevolent God, um, and he loves me unconditionally, then the plan that he has for me is perfect. And, and if it's a perfect plan, then this is part of it. And however this turns out, in his eyes is the best for me. And I have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing. That was my first uh, act of sedition against the darkness was to, was to be okay with who I am in the mirror and have that personal relationship with my God. Isn't it interesting how he gets your attention? <laughs> and sometimes he has to knock us so well, far yeah, down. Yeah. So, sometimes that, he has to cripple you and absolutely. so that I'll settle down and listen to what he's trying to tell me. And so on a little piece of paper, I wrote goals for the day and I stuck it to the bookcase next to where I was laying. And it said, goals for the day, wake up, survive, go to bed. 
And that is all I allowed myself to do. I wouldn't worry about anything else. If I started getting upset about the divorce or whatever, I'd say, you know what? I can't even get up to do anything about it. I'm going to give that pain to you, God. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive. And then I'm going to go to bed. And I would mark my time by my meals. And so I would do whatever I had to do emotionally to survive because I couldn't physically couldn't do anything. So emotionally, whatever I had to do to survive until lunch. And then I would give myself a break and I would eat my lunch. And then I would go. Were you I, living with mom? Uh, towards the end, I had, um, she, I ended up moving in with her. Um, she had a, a, a little day bed in her sewing room, a little child's day bed. And so this great big paratrooper is on this little tiny day bed. And Folded was, him up and put him in there. And that's where I yeah. would lay. Um, How old were uh, your kids? Uh, they were both, uh, my one son had actually joined the military and my daughter was 17 at the time. Yeah. Hard for them to see dad go through this too. I can imagine that it was. Yeah. Um, they they were very supportive, but there's only so much that they can do. I mean, you're living That's by yourself thing. and you're basically stuck in a bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't get up. How, I mean, how'd you even get food and the kindness of strangers? Man. People that like went to my mom's church that heard what was happening because they were trying to take care of her also because she was almost crippled with Parkinson's disease. Right. She would fall down in the kitchen and I couldn't get up to pick up my own mom. Wow. I would have to call other men to come to the house and pick up my own mom. Now, tell me that isn't yeah. a gut check, right? When she's laying there, Jason. Mm -hmm. Well, it, and sadly, y'all are trained and you start to drink the Kool-Aid that you're invincible. Yeah. And that these things can't happen to you. Yeah. If I just take enough Motrin and get enough rest, this will go away. Sure. And and I compartmentalized and, and trash canned and all of it. Yep. All of it. And, there, and I lost all of my coping mechanisms. My family, my ability to work out, mm -hmm. um, all of it. Everything that I would do when the monsters would start to bubble up was gone. And sure. I had to lay there and I'd, I'd see the faces and hear the screams and smell the burnt flesh. And, and everything as a soldier, everything as two police departments, everything as a contractor, everything in my personal life, the betrayal trauma that I had experienced, all of that. Mm -hmm. And I just, had to, I just had to let it burn me. And, and I was lucid and conscious enough to know that if... I took pain medication that I would try to get up. Uh -huh. And so I refused pain medication after the surgery. And, the, and that's what grounded me to my bed was wow. one little tiny move. And these, I mean, this was major, major reconstructive surgery on both legs. Did I assume they probably, if you had messed it up, they wouldn't be able to go back in necessarily and redo. You can't do that stuff over and I, over and over I, again. They just said, don't, don't let these things pop off because mm -hmm. it's going to be bad. And mm -hmm. so whether they could re-redo that, I don't know. That's a question for my, my orthopedic. And, but, so I wouldn't take any pain meds. And I would, I would cry and sweat and, and you know, a little cough or a little hiccup or you, know, you try to readjust in bed mm -hmm. and that pain would just go shooting through my body. But I knew that if I tried to get up, I would have made things worse. And so I just, I literally volunteered to lay there and just let, let the fire burn me. And it, and it just burned and burned and burned. And, and I don't know how I made it through all of that other than the grace of God. So when, and during, was it during that time that you started going, I need to write this book? Oh yeah. We got off on that. Didn't we? Um, well, I started to get better after a couple of years. I'm up, I'm trying to walk again. And people saw this. They realized what was happening. They, they said, you went through all of that at the same time. Mm -hmm. Any one of those would have been enough. A divorce, being crippled. Any one of those to make a person check out. Sure. You had all of that. 
and you lived through that without any help. How did you do that? Well, not to mention your garbage can from everything right, else that right. you already had and right. now this. Right. I couldn't even talk right. to people. Uh, I was I was an emotional and I was lying to myself and, and I, I'll get I'll get through this. I'll just have to, you know, all that nonsense that we tell ourselves. And sure. If you had told me PTSD was what well, they did try to tell me PTSD was real before this happened. I said, you're just a weak person. Mm -hmm. That's not true at all. You have PTSD because you are a strong person and because you've experienced things that normal people aren't supposed to experience on a level and a frequency that is inhumane that we would put people in prison, mm -hmm. like UN conferences to not let this happen mm -hmm. to other countries you're dealing with on a daily basis, you know? And, and that's why we say it's an injury because you can overcome it. Yes. Because of who you are yes. versus a victim of it being labeled disorder and permanent. Right. That's the difference. And so um, people saw me trying to walk again. People saw me doing this. And they said, well, how in the world did you do that? And I go, well, this is just who I am. I'm a warrior. Mm -hmm. And I don't quit. And they said, well, that's fascinating. We don't have your perspective. Could you come and explain that to my children? And so I would crutch or hobble or <laughs> walk in and I would just have this amazing conversation with a group of kids and I would say this is what it means to be a warrior. It's mm -hmm. not about carrying a gun or doing push-ups. It's about having that that internal fire, that that mindset fortitude, too. that mindset, mm -hmm. right? That, that that you have a duty to mm -hmm. do. And and, uh, and they said, well that's fascinating. Would you come back and say that to our entire church? Mm -hmm. And so I well, okay, sure. And so well, that's fascinating. Would you come to our college? You know, would you come to my corporation? Would, can we fly you to New England and gather as many people as possible? Sure. And so I just started traveling the country, speaking to people, and everybody wanted to hear my story. And so that um, kind of was the genesis of me writing my autobiography so that people could, could read that and share that with other people. How hard was it to write it knowing you had the non-disclosure Oh my gosh, it would be twice as, I shouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> that was very difficult because. You had to almost leave a whole. Well, I don't even, I, I know the story. I lived it and it doesn't, it, it sounds fantastic to me. It's like, this is fantasy. This, there's no way sure. that one person did all of this. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Um, but it was, it was, it was difficult. Um, I, I can talk about being injured. I can talk about the process of healing. I can talk about all that stuff. I just can't go into my relationship with the city, with Workman's Comp, and with the insurance company. Sure. But I think our audience is smart enough to know yeah. that the only reason they need a non-disclosure is because they don't want the world exactly. to know their lack of whatever in yeah. it. And that's Susan saying that from a, a, having been in the legal world, that that's the only reason you wouldn't want people to know yeah. the right. details. Well, I, I was injured in 2013, and I was not medically retired until 2017. Okay. So. Wow. Can you even say, were you still on the payroll at all during that time? Eventually. Okay. Um, yeah. I, eventually I was fully vested and medically retired. Okay. Um, there was a point where I was allowed to come back. Well, I wasn't allowed. I was told you're coming back to work. Mm -hmm. And um, that made uh, things difficult mm -hmm. um, because of the nature of my injury and, and, um, the the uh, the job they wanted me to do. I, I went back working uh, in um, the um, the grand jury to be a hearsay officer for grand jury, and so now I'm just reliving everybody else's trauma. Sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, you know? absolutely. But you know, and this is the part that we have always said that's missing in training 
is, and this is where Mark Valenzuela's story also comes in, because we teach people how to, when to, where to, why to, but then when things don't go as planned, mm -hmm. <laughs> so to speak, uh, there's very few people out there talking about being broken, as Mark Valenzuela puts it, right. after being ambushed. You were broken. I was. And, yeah. and I am... I was way too proud to say that then, but I am not now. Mm -hmm. Having passed through that fire, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still recovering. I will always be in a, in a in a state of recovery. Sure. Physically, my legs will never be what they used to be, and I just have to find something else to do with them. Well, and I think we're all in a state of recovery emotionally from everything, just life in general and things that mm -hmm. happen. And that, to me, is what's so significant for our first responders. But I, I have found a way to that works for me. Mm -hmm. to move past it and to heal from it and to the 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 frequency and duration of the of the of the event is farther and farther and fewer and fewer because the farther away I get from it and the more I'm willing to to talk about it and the more mm -hmm. I'm willing to spit out the poison and do actual therapy which I would if I blew my knee out I would go to a professional mm -hmm. therapist who understands my knee absolutely and I would follow their instructions the same thing with my emotions. If I go to someone that actually is qualified to to actually work with a cop, yes, <laughs> uh, you know, because not just somebody read it in a book. Yeah, you know, can you imagine if let's just say you got your knee blown out and the insurance company said, okay, um, we're going to send you to the doctor, mm -hmm. and but it's an OBGYN. Yeah, but or, it's a doctor or a near nose and throat. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. then that. Beer, nose, and throat doctor says, yeah, I'm qualified to work on your knee. Sure. I'm a doctor. I went to medical school. You know, and I'm hearing this all the time from these officers and, and these soldiers and, and, and the family members that, you know, they walk into some of these therapists and, and it's, you know, well, let's, uh, let's meditate for a second and, you know, and, well, tell me what happened. Well, I don't, I don't want to talk about what happened. You or know? they don't want to hear because we're actually hearing horror stories mm -hmm. now. They don't want to open that Pandora's box and right. you go, what? Excuse <laughs> me? <laughs> well, why are we here? Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Well, and if, describe for me again what it meant when you said you were holding the dead kid in your hand. Right. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> or they start to cry, as in Mark's yeah. case. I can't hear any more of this. Yes. Yeah. Then why am I here? Right. We haven't even started, you know? And they want to diagnose and put you on the right axis for insurance payment purposes and stuff mm -hmm. when this is not about mental illness. Mm -hmm. This is about a full psychological garbage can that you have to have like-minded people who can hear these things and not freak out and minimize and whatever and just say, okay. Right. See, this this is interesting because, and I experienced this in Afghanistan, and I'm so grateful for this experience, even though it was horrifying and, and it has cost me dearly, I'm so grateful for this, is that let's just say you have a 19-year-old kid that's the assistant night manager at a Walmart, and he gets his reserve duty called up, and he, you know the next week he's walking in Afghanistan, and yeah. And, you know, he, he gets shot at, he hears an explosion, maybe he loses a buddy, you know, and a year later he's back. Mm -hmm. He needs, he's going to need some help, yep. right? He, and rightly so. He deserves as much help as we can possibly get because he answered the call. And he, for, for one year, was in combat. Mm -hmm. And now he's back trying to adjust back to society. There is no difference psychologically, chemically, emotionally, and physically from being shot at in Phoenix and being shot at in Afghanistan. Right. There is no difference. Both can kill you. Both can kill you. Your body doesn't look at a map and go, oh, well, you're in Phoenix. It's not that bad. Right. right? Closer to a hospital maybe than in <laughs> Afghanistan. Right. You know, a dead kid is a dead kid regardless of where you are. A dead partner is a dead partner regardless of where you are. An explosion is an explosion. So we have cops that have been in combat for 20 years, mm -hmm. 
40 hours a week at a minimum for 20 years without the possibility of decompression because you never stop being a cop. That night, that night assistant Walmart guy took off his helmet, put the paper hat back on, went back to stocking shelves. Eventually he's working out of it. You never, you're always armed. Right. You always sit with your back to the door. You mm -hmm. always, you're never parallel to somebody in an intersection. You know, you, you, you walk on a certain side of the street. You never let your wife hold your right hand. You right. never carry anything in your right hand. Why? Because in church, you're still a cop. Sure. <laughs> you know? It's a lifestyle. If a knucklehead walks in with a pointy stick, everybody's going to turn and look at you. Exactly. Why? Because you're a cop. Yep. You go to a, you go to a, you go to a, a party and you're introduced as a cop, a cop <laughs> right? You don't, they don't walk in and go, this yeah. is Joe. He's the plumber. You know, <laughs> this is Phil. He's my gardener. No, this is Jason. He's a cop. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. So they, you never shut it off. Yeah. And you that can't is, afford you to. can't afford to. The criminal element isn't just a criminal during it, certain hours. And, and it's not, it's not an ego thing. Mm -mm. It's that I will never forgive myself if something happens right in front of me yep. and I don't do something about it. Yep. And that's, I, I know, I know that there's cops out there that don't think that way. They don't carry their gun off duty. They don't, you know, and that's, that's their choice. I'm saying for me, I never shut it off. I was always sure. in condition yellow. You know? Yeah, but here's the thing about those that are out there that may not be carrying. I've had to deal with officers who weren't carrying and bad things happened. Right. And that's a hard thing to help them heal from that they could have made a difference and didn't because they weren't going to be the off-duty cop. Right. Sorry, but that for people trained, conditioned lifestyle of being a problem solver, that's a hard thing to overcome. It is. And so to me... Just because you have the tool of your trade doesn't mean you have to use it. You can still be a good eyewitness yeah. with a gun on your hip. Yeah. But if you need it and you ain't got it, uh, they're not going to let you go back and get it and then come get involved. Yeah. So, Jason, we're going to have to do another episode with you, that's for sure, as we, <laughs> as we migrate through all of this stuff. Man. But, uh, yeah, we're just honored that now you're going to be part of Under the Shield and have ways of telling that's, your story and helping others. Yeah. And go so through tough I, times. I developed this thing called the Warrior Ethos, um, which I go all over the country now, and I and I give presentations. I lecture at colleges. I do corporate, mm -hmm. um, and I talk about how our, our perspective, how we look at things, and what warriors do. And again, it's not about carrying guns and punching people in the mouth. It's about having that can-do spirit, mindset. That, that mindset, and what that means and what that looks like. And, and what's the title of the book? Uh, my autobiography is called Weighed and Measured. That's right. And you can find that on Amazon and all the normal places. And I also wrote a, a historical fiction series. Um, and then I wrote a, uh, I co-wrote a book on healing called uh, Healing Through Broken Relationships. Hmm. And uh, that book and my autobiography both went number one on Amazon. So nice. that was quite, they don't tell you either. They don't call you <laughs> up and let you know. I was, I was thumbing through, I was showing my grandbabies. I was in Texas showing my two granddaughters. They, hey, look, Papa writes books and stuff. And there's this big number one. I'm like, what the heck is that? And I push it and said, hey, look, you're number one on Amazon. I was like, holy crap, look at this. Wow. Can we also, Joelle, can we put the Warrior Ethos on with the podcast yeah. so that people can see this? And we'll put, of course, the books and all of that stuff too as well. So, um, but yeah, very informative. Uh, again, I think you're going to be able to help a lot of people. And every time you do that, there's healing for you yes. and healing for them. 
And that's how I started finding healing was helping other people. Yeah, that's that's the whole key here. And and being able to stand up and say, yeah, this this kind of knocked me to my knees. And and God said, "Okay, I'm here. And now what are we going to do? I was a breath away from ending it all. Sure. What what was your uh, family and friends um, thoughts on the book? Uh, Well, they wanted to hear more and there wasn't I couldn't say more. I know. And, uh, they, um, they were surprised that I was that open and honest and vulnerable with what I was saying. They, a lot of my family didn't even know some of the things that I had experienced in my life. And cause I don't really, I didn't really talk about it that much and about, especially about the pain, what was causing me pain and, and, uh, just the diversity of my life, all the, all the things that I've, I'm, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying I've had a pretty interesting life. I've done some yeah. fun things and, and uh, the ability to express that was was uh, it was it was very painful but healing, because I was talking about, you know, there was I was talking about watching my my patrol partner burn to death in his own car, you know, and I'm watch, talking about uh, dead babies and I'm talking about the depths of despair that I was in, just laying in that bed, just crying for days. I would can't, cry. I would can't cry. Even imagine that. I would cry until I until I literally uh, passed out from exhaustion. Yeah. You know, and and there was nobody coming, and I just had to I just had to be okay with that. And so the, I tried really hard to express all that in the book. I'm I'm not a writer, you know. I I write tickets. I write warrants. You know, <laughs> so I don't write novels. But um, I had I had uh, I had some great editors who were very patient with me, you know, because the first draft was like a 300 page crime scene report. <laughs> there was no subjection. There was no yeah. color. There was no emphasis, emotions, and so. They were very, they, they thought it was adorable. They, you know, so I had to go back and, and do a lot of editing. But uh, once I figured out how to write, it just became easy. Not easy, but it came, became easier to, to put my, my life and my emotions down on paper. Wow. Well, as soon as I, I, I'm reading a book right now, yours is next on the list. Oh, very cool. I, I, now, after speaking with you and hearing your story, uh, I'm really looking forward to getting in and reading your book. Thank you. So, and I, Joel will put out all that information on how, where you can get Jason's book at um, and the other books that you've also written. I'm looking forward to learn a little bit about those too. Um, you fight all that stuff uh, when you look at our podcast um, as it gets put out. Um, but everybody that's out there working, um, all our warriors that are, going through the the tough spot every day that you go to work, you can contact us anytime, 24-7. We're here for you. Uh, We're here to help with you, what what you're going through. We're here for your families. You just need to pick up the phone and call us. You can reach us 24-7 on our Under the Shield hotline at 855-889-2348. If you hit extension one, you will get a stress coach. Just stay on the line because it's going to roll to the next available uh, stress coach. If you want to um, contact Susan directly, hit extension two. You can get in touch with her. Extent, extension three will get you David Cohen down in Alabama, and extension four will get you uh, myself. Um, you can also contact Susan on her cell phone. Uh, she would tell you to text during the daytime and call at night. And her phone number is 334-324-3570. 
If you want to speak to me directly, you can either go through the hotline or you can call me on my cell phone at 480-861-6574. Just know that there's somebody out there for you um, that may not have done exactly what you've done, but they've lived that lifestyle. They can understand what you're going through and they can help you process what's happening and make things better, right? Get you back living in the light instead of the darkness. So just know that there's somebody out there. This is for all first responders, military veterans, and families. Families, uh, you're the first line of defense. You see all the changes, the immediate stuff, the first things that happen, and often don't know where to go or turn to. So we are here for you guys. Um, Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast and come back next week and we'll talk to you then.